miracles of Jesus. And so far we looked at how Jesus saved the best for last when he turned water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And last week we looked at what it means to have authentic faith as Jesus healed a royal official son in John chapter 4. But this morning we are going to discover that Jesus is the God who forgives. All of us at some point in our lives will be forced to answer two very critical questions. The first is this, can I be forgiven of my sins? And the second is this, and if I can be forgiven of my sins, who can forgive me? The reason these questions are so important is because they address the greatest problem we have. Now, if you Google the greatest problems of the world, you'll see things like poverty or or climate change, or inflation, or disease, or, or hunger, or supply chain, or human trafficking, or, or hunger, or food, food shortage, or mental health, and things like that. And on many levels, these are serious issues that need to be addressed. However, these issues are not our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is sin. Sin is our greatest enemy. Sin separates us from God. Sin causes us to be spiritually dead. Sin causes us to think foolishly. Sin leads us to make bad choices. Sin shatters relationships, including our relationship with God. And if not dealt with, sin results in spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell. So can we be forgiven? Absolutely. Scripture makes it very clear that we can be forgiven of our sins. And if we can be forgiven, then who can forgive them? Scripture also makes it very clear that, our only, that only our sins can be forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and took on flesh and served and suffered and sacrificed for the very purpose of delivering us from our sin. Jesus is the only one who can deliver us from the penalty of sin. He's the only one who can justify us and make us right before God. Jesus is the only one who can deliver us from the power of sin. It is only through Christ living in us that we can become like him and live like him. Jesus is the only one who can deliver us from the presence of sin. And one day those who have placed, who have placed their faith in Christ will no longer be in the presence of sin, but will be in the presence of God forever. These are the things that only Jesus can do. And it does not matter if all the other problems of the world in our lives are resolved. If the problem of sin is not resolved, we still have a problem. And by the way, not many of our other problems will be resolved if the sin problem is not taken care of. As sin is the root of the many problems that we face. There was a man who was accustomed to giving orders and having his own way, and he was traveling to a very important meeting. So he decided to take a shortcut and go a way he had never been before. And he found himself completely lost. And he came across a young child, and he asked the young child for directions. In a harsh voice, he said, Boy, which way is it to Dover? I don't know, the child responded. Well, then the man said, How far to Brighton? I don't know that either, the child said. The man was getting frustrated and raised a voice and asked, Is there someone around here who can give me directions? The child shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know. The man became more and more frustrated as the boy kept responding with the same answer. And finally the man lost it and shouted, Well, you don't know much, do you? 
Well, for the first time, the boy, the boy smiled, and as he looked up the road to a little house where his brothers and sisters were playing in the yard, the boy looked at the man and said to him, I may not know much, but at least I ain't lost. You see, we may not know much, but the most important thing for us to know is our greatest problem is spiritual. Our greatest problem is lostness because of sin. In fact, many of the problems we have are caused by sin itself. But there is good news. Because Jesus is the God who forgives sins, we do not have to remain lost. And this morning, as we look at the miracle of Jesus healing the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, we are going to see that this man's greatest need was not physical, but spiritual. And we are going to discover that Jesus is the God who forgives. And we are going to see how we should respond to his forgiveness. And as we go through this miracle, I want you to think about who you can identify with most in this story. Is it the crowd? Is it the teachers of the law? Is it the paralytic himself? Or is it his four friends? So let's look at Mark chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 12. It says, When he entered Capernaum, which is in the region of Galilee, again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that, that so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. He was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. When they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you reasoning these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher, and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up, he picked up the stretcher, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This morning, I want to share with you three things that we need to do because Jesus has the authority to heal and forgive. The first thing is this. Because Jesus has the authority to heal and forgive, we should bring the hurting to Jesus. Jesus has returned to Capernaum from preaching and from ministering in the region of Galilee. And at this point, he's probably staying at the home of Peter. If you go to Mark 1.29, it says that Jesus went to Peter's home and healed his mother-in-law. And so he is probably staying at Peter's home at this time. And word got out that Jesus had returned and many gathered to hear him speak. This was a huge crowd. This was a big deal because Jesus was in the house and he wanted everyone to see him and hear him. There were so many people who came to see Jesus that there was no room left. There wasn't even room outside. The doorway was jammed full of people. And in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Mark, crowds generally are passive. Crowds generally obstruct access to Christ. Crowds are not a measure of a success. And just because a big crowd surrounded Jesus did not mean many in the crowd were going to follow him. 
It did not mean that many in the crowd were going to put their faith in him because many in the crowd were either apathetic to or opposed to the cause of Christ. And they were there more out of curiosity than anything else. Many in that crowd were intrigued by Jesus for the wrong reason. They were interested in his power or what he had to say and not necessarily who he was. And in verse 2 it says he preached the word. The Greek word is the Greek word logos. And, it, and he, so he preached the word to them. What word did he preach? He preached the Old Testament. And he continued to call those to believe the gospel and to repent. But as Jesus was preaching about the Old Testament, as he was preaching about the gospel, four men showed up with a man on a stretcher who was paralyzed. And I'm sure these men had heard about Jesus. They had heard about how Jesus had already done all these other miracles and had healed people, and they wanted to bring their friend to Jesus so Jesus could heal him. These men were filled with compassion. Compassion is defined as love in action. These men had compassion for their friend. They knew their friend had a need, and they had a genuine desire to see him healed. These men were not focused on themselves. These men were not focused on their needs. These men were focused on their friend. But there was a problem in getting their friend to Jesus. The problem was the crowd. Because of the crowd, they could not get their friend inside the house to see Jesus as the crowd was blocking access to him. Have you ever been in a large crowd and you just couldn't get anywhere and you got frustrated? I remember the first year they moved the Passion Conference, which is a a conference for 18 to 25 year olds in Atlanta. They moved it from the old Phillips Arena in Atlanta, which holds about 20,000 people. And they moved it to the Georgia Dome, which is now the Mercedes-Benz Dome. And that conference went from 20,000 people to 60,000 people in downtown Atlanta. This was a mass of people. It was difficult to get anywhere. You had to push your way through the crowd. You had to make a way. And the worst part was getting food it was a nightmare Joseph he's been, he knows it was a nightmare to eat there are thousands of people in the food court of the CNN center I've never seen so many people gathered in one place but you know what I didn't let that stop me from getting food I was determined to eat I did whatever it took to satisfy my hunger but you know what these four men knew their friend needed Jesus and they were going to do whatever it took to get their friend to him. They were not going to let the crowd stop him. They were going to persevere. They got creative. Look at this slide on the screen. This is a Palestinian home back then. They got creative. If people were jammed in the doorways, they filled that whole court area outside the door. They got creative. They decided to take their friend who was on a stretcher up the stairways to the roof. And what you need to understand about a Palestinian roof is it was flat. It was supported by wood beams on the exterior walls of the house. And the beams were cross-laid with branches and they were packed with a thick layer of grass and mud and clay. And they functioned like a deck functions today. It was for fresh air. It was to, lie, uh, to dry laundry. It was to eat. It was, it was to pray. So because they couldn't get through the door to get to Jesus, they decided to take an alternate route. They decided to go up the stairs onto the roof. Can you imagine 
the faith this paralyzed man must have had in his friends. As he was aware that the only way he was going to get to Jesus was first they had to carry him up these stairs. I'm sure he wasn't a very light man. They had to get him up the stairs and then they got him to the top of the roof. But then it gets better. They had to dig a hole in the roof. This took work. They had to be careful. Remember, this paralyzed man was still on the, pre- on the stretcher through the whole process. And if they compromise, compromise the roof too much, this man may have fallen through the roof. And what these men were doing by digging in the roof, it probably didn't make the homeowner happy. Because when you were destroying someone's roof or someone's property, it was a sign of disrespect. And it probably didn't make the crowd happy below because as they were showered with dirt and grass and mud and sticks as it was falling from the roof above. And then after they dug the hole, they lowered this paralyzed man through the roof to where Jesus was in the house. And throughout this whole process, these men demonstrated real faith. These men were willing to remove any obstacle. These men were willing to do whatever it took to ensure their friend had a personal encounter with Christ. You know what? Real faith is an act of faith that doesn't make excuses. Real faith is an act of faith that does not give up. Real faith is an act of faith that overcomes the crowd and overcomes the obstacles. There have been times in my life when I felt like giving up. And I'm sure there have been times in your life where you felt like giving up and you said, what's the use? But because of your faith in Christ, you persevere. There was a father who was trying to talk his son out of not quitting school. And he said, son, you've heard about Thomas Edison. He didn't quit. He said, son, you've heard about Abraham Lincoln. He didn't quit. He said, you've heard about Albert Einstein and how he didn't quit. Then he said, son, you've heard about Isidore McPringle. The son stopped his dad and said, Dad, I've heard about those other guys. I've never heard about Isidore McPringle. His father said, the reason you've never heard about him is because he quit. If these four men would have given up because of the crowd, if these four men would have not persevered, we probably would have never heard of them. These men let nothing stand in the way or hinder them from coming to Jesus. Not even a crowd, not even a roof. We are to be like these four men and not the crowd. We are not to be ambivalent or complacent toward Christ. We are not to give up. We are to be different. We are to stand out from the crowd instead of being part of the crowd. And in our lives, we are not to let the crowd, we are not to let anything keep us from coming to Jesus, from bringing others to Jesus or being Jesus to others. We are to not let our fears our failures, our family, our friends, our school, or job from coming to Jesus or bringing others to Him. And just like these men had a desire to bring their friend to Jesus, we should have a desire to bring others to Jesus. We all know people who are hurting. We all know people who are suffering. We all know people who are going through a tough time. And we should be willing to do what we can to help those in need. And we should not become so focused on ourselves and our needs that we fail to see the needs of others. We should not be so busy and entrenched in our own lives that we don't have time for others. And I'm sure it was not convenient for these men to bring their friend to Jesus. 
I'm sure it was not comfortable for these men to bring their friend to Jesus. They had to carry him on a stretcher. They had to take time out of their schedule. They had to remove obstacles. They had to overcome the crowd. But as important as it is to meet the physical needs of others, there's a need of far greater importance and significance. Look at what happened next. This is amazing. Look at what happened next in verse 4. So since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. When they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. And seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw the faith of these four men and he was impressed. And not only did he see their faith, he honored their faith. And Jesus was not offended by what these men did. In fact, I think Jesus was encouraged by these men. I think Jesus was moved by their faith. He could care less about the damage done to the roof. Jesus saw the faith of these four friends. He saw what they were willing to do to bring their friend to him. And he says to the paralytic in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. The Greek word son is more than a term, term of endearment. It's more than a term of affection. It's a term used by a superior who acts with authority and benevolence. And Jesus is saying, I am the one with authority to forgive sin. And Jesus had compassion for the man's situation. And we don't know much about the faith of these four men. But what we do know is they took action. And in fact, this is the first mention of faith in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark links faith with acting rather than knowing and feeling. And what this tells me is that first and foremost, faith is more than knowledge about Jesus. Faith is more than a feeling about Jesus. Faith is active trust that Jesus is sufficient for all our needs. Faith is believing that Jesus is all we need. If we have Jesus, we should come to understand that we don't need anything else. And something else we need to address. Why did Jesus mention the sins of this man? Why didn't he just say, you're forgiven? His response appears to refer to specific sins in this man's life. He says, your sins. It's possible that Jesus had some knowledge of this man's particular sins and their relationship to his paralysis. And before his paralysis can be healed, his sins needed to be forgiven. Also, Jesus didn't want the paralytic to think that the faith of his friends was an acceptable substitute for his own response to Jesus. Each person individually must respond to Christ. It does not matter if your whole family has given their life to Christ. If you have not given your life to Christ, you don't have faith in Christ. You have to make an individual, personal decision to receive Jesus into your life. And this personal encounter with Jesus, it changed the life of this man forever and for eternity. And don't miss this. These men were bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus, not for forgiveness, but for healing. They may not have even known that this man's sins needed forgiven. But you know what Jesus did? He gave them both. Jesus knew the man's situation. 
Jesus looked past his physical need and met his real need, his greatest need, his spiritual need. This man did need physical healing, but more important, he needed spiritual healing. And based on who he is and what he would accomplish on the cross, Jesus extended to this paralyzed man God's full and complete forgiveness. He pardoned his sin with only his word. And Jesus is demonstrating to this man, to his friends, to the crowd, to us, that our spiritual condition is far more important than our physical condition. Jesus went right to the heart of the problem. And Jesus is demonstrating he has the power to heal both physically and spiritually. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. That's talking about spiritual healing. In Luke 5, 17, it says, In one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there and had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. That passage in Luke, which is also an account of this miracle that we see in Mark chapter 2, indicates that the Lord, that Jesus, had the power to heal. You see, these men realized Jesus was the only hope for this man to be healed. We also need to realize that Jesus is the only hope for every man, woman, and child. There is no other hope besides Jesus. There is no other way besides Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And there are many around us who are hurting and struggling and have physical needs, and we should do all we can to show them the love of Jesus. But there are also many people who are hurting spiritually. There are many people who need Jesus, and they're dying from a spiritual disease called sin and don't even realize it. And we need to do all we can to share the love of Jesus with them. You see, it's our responsibility to introduce people to Jesus by showing them his love and sharing with them his love. These men did whatever it took to bring their friend to Christ. And we need to do whatever we can to bring those around us to Jesus. And because of our faith in Christ, because we've experienced God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and forgiveness, we should desire to bring others to Christ and have them experience the same thing. And if we want evangelism to be part of our church culture and part of our DNA as a church, which it should be, it has to be part of each of our lives. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm the first to admit it. That should not stop me from sharing with others and telling others what God has done for me. That should not stop me from telling others how, how God has worked in my life and the difference that God has made in my life. Sometimes we make evangelism so complicated, but yet it's so simple. It's simply telling others about the love of Jesus and how God has changed your life. And as a church of Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, this should be part of the DNA of our lives as a believer and part of our DNA as a church. And we need to do what we can to introduce others to Christ. Why? Because he is the only one who can 
forgive sin. The second point I want to make is because Jesus has the authority to forgive. We should see Jesus for who he is. This comes from verses 6 through 10. Look at the reaction of the scribes and the Pharisees. But some of the scribes were sitting there, scribes, teachers of the law. They were thinking to themselves, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This miraculous healing by Jesus turned into a religious confrontation with the Jewish people. And Jesus was challenging their tradition. Jesus was challenging their belief about who he was. And the scribes talked to themselves in verse 7. Who has the ability to forgive sins but God alone? You see, Jews commonly believe that the result of sin in one's life was sickness. That if you have sickness in your life, you must have done something wrong. You must have offended God, and God is punishing you by giving you sickness and disease. And because they believed it exclusively God's right to forgive sins, Jewish healers did not pronounce forgiveness of sin in their healings. And they did not believe that the Messiah could forgive sin. And you know what? On one hand, they were correct to think that only God could forgive sins. That is a true statement. If they would have stopped there, they would have been fine. It is a true statement that no one can forgive sin but God himself. However, on the other hand, they were astonishingly wrong because they failed to recognize that Jesus was God. You see, unbeknownst to them, this is exactly what Jesus was saying. He was telling everyone in the crowd that I am God. But they failed to recognize who Jesus was. And unbeknownst to them, Jesus was saying it and he was about to prove it. You see, they didn't have a problem with God. They had a problem with Jesus. And it's the same today. There are many who do not have a problem with God. You can talk about God all you want. But when you bring Jesus into the conversation, it can turn into a confrontation. Because people do not want to hear that Jesus is the Son of God. People do not want to hear that Jesus is the only way to God. People do not want to hear that Jesus is the only one who can forgive sin. You can talk about God all you want. But the moment you talk about Jesus, things tend to change. However, because Jesus is God, if you have a problem with Jesus, you do have a problem with God. If you have a problem with Jesus, you have a problem with God. You can't deny the deity of Jesus and say you believe in God. If you truly believe in the God of the Bible, you have to believe in Jesus. You can't separate the two. You can't say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't work that way. If you believe in the God of Scripture, you believe in the Jesus of Scripture. And on several occasions in the gospel, Jesus himself said in John 14, 9, he says, If you see me, you've seen the Father. In John 10, 30, he said, He and the Father are one. And because of Jesus' claim to be God, because of Jesus' claim to be able to forgive sin, The scribes and Pharisees accused Jesus of one of the most serious offenses. They said in verse 7, He is blaspheming. They accused Jesus of blasphemy, which meant that Jesus was dishonoring and Jesus was disrespecting God. 
that Jesus was speaking sacrilegiously against God. And if you go to Leviticus 24, 16, it says that if you blaspheme against God, you are punishable by death and especially by stoning. If you remember throughout the Gospels, that happened to Jesus a few times where they were ready to pick up stones and throw at him because of his claim that he was God. This is a serious charge with serious consequences. And why were they accusing Jesus of blasphemy? Why were they accusing Jesus of being sacrilegious? Because he claimed to be God and was making himself equal with God. They failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They failed to recognize Jesus as the Son of God. They failed to recognize Jesus as the Savior of the world, as God in the flesh. And even though they were experts in the law of Moses, they failed to recognize their need for Jesus. They failed to see that they needed Jesus just like the paralytic. They did not understand that Jesus is the only cure for sin. And by the way, not only is Jesus the answer for our sin problem, Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. No matter what problem we have, Jesus is the answer. But these scribes, they knew what was at stake in this confrontation with Jesus. They knew that if Jesus can forgive sins, that means Jesus is God. And this would turn their belief system on its head. This would, they would have to swallow their pride. They would have to admit that they were wrong. And look what happens next in verse 8. It says, right away Jesus understood in his spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves and said to him, why are you reasoning these things in your heart? Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. Jesus immediately knew what was going on in their hearts and their minds. You know what this is? This is more evidence of the deity of Christ. This is more evidence that Jesus is God because Jesus is showing his omniscience as, as he clearly can tell what they're thinking. And he asked them two questions in verses 8 and 9. He says, why are you thinking these things? And then he says, which is easier? To say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Jesus knew as the scribes and Pharisees did, it's one thing to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier to say to someone your sins are forgiven, but it's another thing to prove it. And Jesus knew that if he healed the paralytic, it would be proof. It would validate his authority to forgive sin. And in verse 10, he says, but you may know, but so you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. In verse 10, Jesus gave them something else to think about. He connects the dots for them. He lowers the boom. He says, I want you to know, just in case you haven't figured it out yet, I, the Son of Man, the Son of God, I have the authority on earth to forgive sin. If there was ever a drop-the-mic moment in the ministry of Jesus, this is it. Jesus is clearly saying that He is God. And He is saying, because God can forgive sin, I can forgive sin. And I'm sure after Jesus said this, they were speechless. I'm sure they didn't know what to think. They didn't know what to say. They were speechless. They were beside themselves. 
And let's not miss Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. This title, Son of Man, will become his favorite way to refer to himself. In fact, this term is found in the Gospels 81 times. Why did Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man? Why, why did he do that? What do you mean by that? Why did he not say, I'm the Christ, or I'm the Messiah, or I'm the Son of God? Why did he say, I'm the Son of Man? Because sometimes Jesus shows himself to be the Son of Man who is serving. Other times he shows us to be the Son of Man who is suffering. Other times he shows us he is the Son of Man who is coming in glory. And in the Old Testament, this term, Son of Man, is used in different ways. In Psalm 144, verse 3, it refers to a human being. In Daniel 7, 13 to 14, it refers to the one who will come and establish his kingdom. So to summarize what Jesus is saying, he is saying, I am God incarnate. I am a human being who identifies with sinful humanity as I serve and as I suffer. But also I am God who one day will return as the coming Lord of glory. You see, Jesus avoided the term Christ or Messiah because he was a much different Messiah from what the Jews were expecting. The Jews were expecting a Messiah who would come and establish a physical kingdom and would overthrow Rome and set the people of Israel free from Roman rule. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom and set people free from the rule of sin. You see, Jesus avoided that term, Christ or Messiah, because he did not want to give a false impression of what he came to do. As one commentator said, by using Son of Man, this allowed Jesus to refer to the total scope of his messianic mission without all the political overtones. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of Man who forgives sin. And unlike the crowd and the scribes and the Pharisees, may we understand that Jesus' primary purpose in taking on flesh to become God incarnate, to become Son of Man, it was not to heal those who were physically sick. It wasn't due to do just miracles of healing, but it was to heal those who were spiritually sick and do the miracle of salvation, which brings eternal healing from a disease called sin. And why would Jesus come? And heal us spiritually from our disease called sin. Why would he deliver us from our sin? Because he was moved with compassion. Mark 141 says, Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Talking about the leper. Jesus healing the leper. Mark 141 says, Jesus was moved with compassion. Go to Mark 644. It says, Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd and was moved in compassion. Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great and faithful in love. And because we recognize who Jesus is, that he's the God of compassion, he's the only one who could forgive sin. And we are also moved with compassion like these four men. We should desire to bring others to Jesus so they can experience his love and forgiveness and see Jesus for who he really is. That's why we do a lot of the things we do in our church. 
That's why we have Project 29, which PT is going to come and talk about at the end of the service. That's why we have things like Upward Basketball and Vacation Bible School and Operation Christmas Child. That's why we want to develop partnerships with places like Glen Marshall Elementary and Redeeming Grace Church in Loveland, Ohio. This should be the purpose of all that we do to bring the hurting of Je to Jesus so they can see Jesus for who he really is, the one who will forgive their sin. Finally, because Jesus has the authority to heal and forgive, we should praise Jesus for what he's done. End of verse 10 says, He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up. He picked up the stretcher and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. In spite of opposition from these religious leaders, the story ends well. And remember this man, after being lowered from the roof, he was first healed spiritually. And he heard the confrontation between Jesus and the scribes as he was laying beside Jesus all this time and he was still waiting to be healed physically he was still paralyzed but Jesus looks at the man and makes a very simple and direct statement after his confrontation with the scribes he told the paralytic I tell you get up pick up your stretcher and go home you see these four men believed Jesus could meet their greatest need which they thought was physical healing However, they failed to realize their friend's greatest need was salvation, which is spiritual healing. And Jesus just did not heal this man physically, but as proof of his power to forgive sin, something that can't be seen. Jesus healed this paralytic, something that everyone could see. And by healing this man, Jesus made it very clear that not only does he have the ability to heal and forgive sin, but he also has the authority to heal and forgive sins. You see, Jesus forgave this man for his sins, and he validated it with a miracle. This man's physical healing was proof of the spiritual healing of Jesus. This man came seeking healing for his paralysis, and he walked away with the complete forgiveness of his sin. And by coming to faith in Jesus, this man and his friends were not disappointed. In fact, he received more than he expected and what he exactly needed. And you know what? That happens when we come to Jesus as well. When we come to Jesus, we won't be disappointed. When we come to Jesus, we'll receive more than we expect. And he'll give us exactly what we need. But often we think that we know our greatest need is based on the circumstances of our lives. But in reality, our greatest need is not what, is not what ha is happening in our lives. Our greatest need is not what's happening in our family or with our health or at work or at school or, or with our lack of resources or with a shortage of time or insufficient income. Like this young man, our greatest need is Jesus. And when we see Jesus as our greatest need, he will take care of all our other needs and we will not be disappointed. And I want you to look at how this man and the crowd responded to Jesus. This man, he wasted no time. He did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk and go home. 
And that's exactly what he did. But it says everyone was astounded or amazed at what just happened. They gave glory to God and they said, we have never seen anything like this. They praised God because this man who could not get up and walk earlier was now walking. You see, even the Pharisees and the scribes who had come from all over, they could not deny that this man had been healed and that his sins had been forgiven. They could not deny that this was the work of Jesus. They probably didn't like it, but they couldn't deny it. And the greatest miracle was not that Jesus healed this man. The greatest miracle was that Jesus transformed this man. Not only did he give him a new lease on life, Jesus gave this man new life. And they should have been praising God, not because his paralysis was removed, but because his sins were removed and forgiven. You see, this miracle is not about this man walking again. This miracle is about this man going from death to life. And because of what Jesus did, they praised him, they worshipped him, they gave God the glory. There's a song called What He's Done, and the chorus says, What He's Done, What He's Done, All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. In our lives, we should never stop praising God. We should never stop praising God for the miracle of salvation. We should never stop praising God for the stone that was rolled away and for the empty tomb. And we should never stop praising God for what he has done and is doing in our lives. And because we have experienced the forgiving grace of God, we should always praise him. You see, Jesus sees things much more clearly than we do. And Jesus used this miracle as a teaching moment to clearly demonstrate our greatest need in this life. These four men were willing to bring their friend to Jesus at any cost. These four men had compassion for their friend. Otherwise, they would have not brought their friend to Jesus. They would have not overcame the crowd. They would not have done whatever it took to get their friend to have an encounter with Christ. These men also understood the cure. They understood that Jesus was their friend's only hope of healing. And may we realize the greatest act of compassion we can show to anyone is to bring them to Jesus as this act of compassion will change their lives now and for eternity. And like these men, we need to do whatever it takes to bring others to Christ. We need to overcome our fear. We need to overcome our comfort. We need to overcome our inconveniences. We need to overcome the crowd. And we need to be willing to help others understand that their greatest need, that their greatest problem is sin, and that no other religion has the cure for sin. The only cure for their sin problem is Jesus as he is the only one who can forgive sin. You see, it's not about being a good person because we can't. You can't be good enough to have your sins forgiven. It's not about the good outweighing the bad because even if our good outweighed our bad, this still doesn't take care of the problem of sin. And yes, we have other needs. We have physical needs. We have relational needs. We have financial needs. And Jesus can meet these needs. But let's not lose sight of the fact that our greatest need is Jesus. Our greatest need is for our sins to be forgiven.
And when we realize Jesus is our greatest need, He will give us more than we need. And may we never stop praising Jesus for who He is and what He's done. And may we always raise a hallelujah. As I began this message, I asked you to think about who you can relate to in this story. And hopefully as I've gone through this story of this miracle, the healing of the paralytic, you've you've kind of evaluated where you are in your life and you've determined who you can relate to. Maybe you're in a place in your life where you can relate to the crowd. You're interested in the teaching of Jesus but not the person of Jesus. And maybe this morning you have realized that Jesus is your greatest need. Maybe you can relate to the scribes or the religious leaders. You've been denying the deity of Christ. You thought Jesus was a good person. You thought Jesus was a good teacher, but that was it. But you failed to recognize Jesus as the Son of God who can forgive sin. And maybe this morning you need to recognize that Jesus needs to forgive your sin. And if you're part of the crowd... If you're part of the scribes or the religious leaders, I want to invite you when we give our time of commitment here in a few minutes to come and give your life to Christ by placing your faith in Him and trust in Him, asking Him to forgive you of your sin. Maybe you're like the paralytic this morning. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're going through a tough time. Maybe there's a broken area in your life that you need to God to intervene and to heal. Or maybe you know someone who's in that situation and you just need to come and say, Lord, I need you. Maybe you're like the four friends. Maybe there's someone in your life, someone you know who needs Jesus. Maybe it's a physical issue. Maybe it's a spiritual issue. I ask you, what are you willing to do? To what extent are you willing to go? to be Jesus to others and bring them to Him. What specific steps are you willing to take this week to bring your faith in Christ to others? Or maybe you simply need to come and praise God for who He is and what He's done in your life. Or maybe you haven't praised God enough and God's convicted you this morning that your praise of Him is not what it should be. Wherever you are in your life, whoever you relate to, I pray this morning that you'll come to Jesus and realize that He is your greatest need. Let's pray. Father, we just come for you this morning and just thank you for your word and your truth. And Father, I thank you that Jesus is the Son of Man. I thank you that Jesus was willing to come to this earth and take on flesh to become God incarnate for the purpose of delivering us from our sins, to forgive us for our sins. And may we realize, Father, that Jesus is the only cure for the sin in our life. There is no other cure. There is no other hope. And Father, maybe there's some this morning here who are struggling with who you are. Maybe there are those here this morning who have denied the deity of Christ. And Father, maybe there are those this morning who've been complacent about Jesus and this morning you've got a hold of their hearts and said, you need to give your life to me as I'm the only one who can forgive you of your sin. Father, maybe there's people here in the sanctuary online who need to give their life to Christ. Father, maybe there are those here who are like the paralytic. God, they need help. They're struggling. 
they're hurting. Maybe it's a physical issue or a spiritual issue. And God, may they see that you are all they need. And may they cry out to you and say, Lord, I need you. And God, may you show up in their lives and work a miracle. Father, maybe there are those this morning who are like these four friends. And Father, I'm sure all of us who know you are in, are in this boat. God, we know people who need you. God, we know people that, that we need to share your love with. We know people that, that we need to be Jesus to others. And Father, I pray as we go through our week this week that as you put people in our path, God, that we would desire to have compassion like these men had compassion for their friend. That we'd be willing to do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. And Father, may all of us who know you this morning give you the praise and the honor that you deserve. God, may we raise a hallelujah. And God, may our lives sing and shout of what you've done for us. And Father, maybe people need just to come and say, I want to praise you, Jesus, for who you are and for what you've done. God, work in hearts this morning. And may each one of us respond to obedience to you like this man did who was healed from his paralysis and forgiven of his sin. When you told him to get up and walk, Father, he got up and walked. Father, we love you. We praise you. Just work during this time of invitation. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.